All right, so we're going to finish the final after show combo on Bundy. And I'm going to look at some, we're going to look at some really weird uh, coincidences and facts, as well as a brief look at his childhood. Okay, so his childhood, are there any clues at all? Well, you know, like we talked about, knives. That's huge. To me, at that early age. And a woman. He didn't do it to his uncle. He didn't do it to his siblings. But he loved his uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had a pretty uneventful childhood as far as we know, other than the fact that his sister was his mother and his parents were his grandparents. <laughs> and it was rumored that his grandfather was actually his biological father. I could see that. Yeah. So he was born at home for uh, uh, for un- born at a home for unwed mothers in Vermont on November twenty fourth, nineteen forty six. He was there for two months, and then because his mother left him there, and so um, right here to me, this could be the first forming of a psychopath because babies that don't bond with their mothers often suffer from attachment disorder. So this is where my empathy comes in. You know, he is a little baby and he is like, his mom has him and then gone. And so he had no bonding, you know, and like babies can smell their moms. They know who their moms are and you know, like their eyesight, they can only see like, a you know, not very far at all at first. And so the first face that little baby sees is her mom. How long was she gone? Two months. And so his, his mother, uh, Eleanor Louise Cal was considering giving him up for adoption, but her father said no family member would be given away. So, um, they went and picked him up and then, but he said that he pretty much grew up knowing she was his mother. You know, so that was not a surprise. He did not find out when he was in college or high school. I don't know that I believe him. Well, um, she pretty much was raising him. So, you know, by the time he was seven or eight, he pretty much had figured out. uh, And plus the kids made fun of him, which we'll get into in a second. But he was described as a socially awkward child. And then his grandfather suffered from depression and agoraphobia which is an anxiety disorder that causes anxiety in situations where the person feels their environment's unsafe and they don't have an easy way to escape. So I think that's those that don't like to go out in public. They'd rather stay at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. He also had a raging temper that touched everyone from cats and dogs to employees and family m- members. Bundy tried to say that he and his grandfather were close, but most knew that wasn't true. So I wonder if maybe he was abused physically, at least. I'm so, sure. Yeah, if he watched, his grandfather watched porn, that could have been his son, really. The grandfather, that was son, because he wouldn't give her, he didn't give him away. Yeah. But then you didn't usually keep unwed mothers' children. They put them up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And you also didn't talk about male grandfather to want to keep the child is unusual. Yeah. Usually the mother. That's true. And if he was violent, like Louise never shared any of those details, but um, if he was violent and abused her sexually, um, you don't talk about that either oh. back then. 
not back then. So Dr. Dor- Dorothy Lewis, um, when she was talking about the knives being placed around the ant, I'll give you the quote she said. She said, um, such actions would occur only in very seriously traumatized children who have either themselves have been victims of extraordinary abuse or who have witnessed extreme violence among family members. Wonder if he was abused or just people around him. Yeah. I think he, he was probably abused for sure. Um, I mean, he was violent to animals, family members, employees, and they said raging. That's just whoever comes in your path. Like a blind rage, you know, it's just everybody. But the fact that he often lied about his childhood, that's baffling to me. And well, there- he, but he, his whole goal was to be wealthy, part of a wealthy family, be a Norman Rockwell life. And so it was probably embarrassing to him and his ego that if his childhood wasn't good. That's true. Now, he was very and yeah. I also found why he talked the way he talked. This is very interesting. But when he was three, Louise took him to Tacoma, Washington from Philadelphia. The move was not good for him. Um, he missed his family and um, he was jealous of his mother's new relationship. So one time he had a quote, deliberate public tantrum at Sears, wetting his pants as part of the display. So to me, that's crazy because already he's manipulating. Already he's figuring this out. What was he? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Oh, three. But I don't know what age he was when he had the tantrum. Oh. Now, which is crazy. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Bundy adopted Ted and gave him his last name. You know, oops. <laughs> Um, their relationship was always tense. Bundy wanted wealth and expensive clothes and belongings, but his stepdad couldn't provide those things. So Bundy looked down on him as not smart and would provoke him to the point where Mr. Bundy would strike him. He provoked him to strike him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Get a reaction. That's a control. I'll get a reaction. I would or maybe make his mother leave. So he could go back. Don't know. Don't know. Because you know, some of his stuff, if you listen to him, you know, isn't true. Mm-hmm. Some of it he adds and embellish, you can tell that he's, it's not true. Absolutely. Now, again, we know that he knew his mother was not his sister and he deeply resented his mother for being illegitimate. He really was not happy about that. Because it didn't fit with his ideal of a family and background and right my i am recording what are you doing (laughs) his mother was his sister and his mother if if yeah the father yeah i bet he knew he had to know so a friend tried to reassure bundy that that didn't matter and bundy said well it's not you that's a bastard so that really really bothered him now, his ability to charm was actually a learned skill. And I believe that it came from the psychology classes he took because he was awkward and teased for a speech impediment. Really? So that's probably why he spoke so precisely. 
And he wasn't a bad athlete either, but he didn't stand out. And uh, so he didn't really stand out in anything except killing. Um, failure was difficult for him. And he was a loner in high school. And he only went on one date because he was afraid of women and didn't know what to do with them. Wow. He had good friends and jobs. He went to a Methodist church with his family. And he was a Methodist Youth Fellowship's vice president. Oh, my. He even saved the life of a friend's niece when she was drowning. I remember that. I, I don't. I knew he saved the little boy from drowning. Oh, boy. I knew he yeah. did the, the purse snatching. He saved a kitten for Molly, and then he saved his best friend's niece from drowning. I know the little boy. I'm say bull crap the on little some boy. of those. Yeah. That's a lot of coincidental savings. I mean, are these his words, or mm-hmm. are these, like, verifiable, backed up? No, they're the friends and the witnesses. They yeah. Have, really. Yeah. So... He uh, drowning someone? No, well, let me save him. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. I can see that. They may not even. Like some of it was made. Like, you know, he threw him in, you're right, and then, oh. Oh, they're drowning. I don't know. Unless someone accidentally purposely pushed you in. coincidental Yeah, he did a lot of saving. But he thought he saved Elizabeth, too, from her life of, what a crazy. Yeah. He did show violent tendencies from a young age. A fellow Boy Boy Scout said that Bundy once came up behind him and hit him on the head with a stick, which I think is interesting because he bludgeoned his victims first. He liked to scare people, and he'd dig holes in the ground and cover them, hoping someone would fall in and hurt themselves, and one little girl did. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't either. He also enjoyed pulp fiction detective stories, especially those with gore-filled depictions of rape and murder. So I like true crime, and I thought of Elena's little graphic she sent us that a lot of serial killers like to study true crime. Whatevs. Whatever. Back off a little. Whatever. So, I'm like even blushing a little bit. So, he might have started looking at porn when he's a teenager, accessing his grandfather's collection. Sometimes his classmates caught him masturbating in school closets, and they throw water on him. He later became the peeping Tom and a petty theft. So, he's jacked already sexually. The grandfather might have set him on a lap. And let him watch it with him. Maybe. He's abused. That's probably more so. He had to be a boy. Yeah. Had to be a man. Yeah. Then he started, even at a young age, you know, with the peeping Tom and the stealing and all those things, he started squishing that guilt that he would feel. So he felt guilt at first, but he started tamping it down. And then he decided it was a man-made emotion. Now, the breakup between him and his first true love devastated him. Um I personally think he only dated her because of her family's wealth and position. Uh, And for a long time, I thought this was a trigger, but I personally believe there was no trigger. You have a picture of her? Mm -mm. Um, I don't think anything caused him to start killing. I think he had a rage since he was a child and witnesses would say, even as an adult, he would clench his fist and tremble with rage and he was trying to control it. 
And then survivors remember seeing that rage on his face. So he finally acted out on it. I think it was a long time brewing. You know, if he didn't kill Anne, he had fantasies of killing. And so I just think one day um, with his rage, his sexual fantasies and his homicidal fantasies, that it was just a recipe for murder. And he finally just did it. But here's the thing. Those are things that some of those things were taught by his grandfather slash possible father too. Mm -hmm. Now he would. She has brown hair and the words bothered him because she said he was pitifully weak. Yep. Yep. So the devastation wasn't because he loved her. The devastation was because she made him feel this big, you know, it was an ego thing. And when she said that, he's like, I'll show you, which is why I think he later started dating her again when he was seeing Elizabeth. And then he just broke it off cold Turkey because it was vengeance. Yep. Years mm-hmm. later. So yeah. now he was asked why he engaged in necrophilia with some of his victims. He said during a psychological assessment while in death row in Florida, that it was quote, the possession of the person. He was quote, addicted to the idea of this possession of the essence of the victim. And his best climaxes were during the sex act as he felt the life leave his victim. That's crazy. I've heard that before in some serial killer rapists, though. And he liked, like, he liked watching their nails turn blue. Like, he would just sit there and watch them. Okay, so to finish up some interesting facts, um, George Ann Hawkins, a college student in Tacoma, Washington, she disappeared from an alley behind her sorority house. Her friends said that she was always careful, and she felt safe in the alley because it was well-lit, and she usually saw people she knew back there. Bundy later described her abduction. He said that he approached Hopkins in the alley, limping along on crutches, dropping his briefcase as a ruse. He asked her for assistance with carrying his briefcase to his car, which was located in a parking lot just off the side of the alley. Thinking that the strange man was really injured, Hopkins agreed to help him. As she bent over to put Bundy's briefcase in his car, he grabbed a cobalt crowbar that he had hidden beforehand knocked her out with a single blow to the head and pushed her into his car and sped off. Bundy claimed that while driving, Hawkins regained consciousness and started to incoherently talk about her Spanish test, believing he had taken her to tutor her for her exam, which I have the recording of that at the beginning of one of our podcasts. In response, Bundy simply proceeded to knock her unconscious again once at the secluded location, allegedly uh, located near Lake, Lake Sammamish, he took her body out of his car, killed her by strangulation with a rope. Then he severed, severed her head and buried it in the, lo- the woods on the rocky hillside. Here's the weird fact. Phyllis Armstrong, her friend, was interviewed for this series uh, on, um, I think, Prime or Netflix, and she shares the story of meeting Hopkins when they were daffodil princesses at the Washington Daffodil Festival in 1973, and she shared their experiences together as peers at the University of Washington. She also revealed that Bundy had approached her on crutches asking for help a few days before Hawkins went missing, and she said no. Say no. (laughs) Don't help these people. 
The other weird fact. Natural instinct to help, though. And I'm going to show you a picture of him. Let me pull this up. Okay. So let me share my screen. So this is a photo of Commission Director Tom Sampson discussing plans for a white-collar crime study with Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy wrote for the Seattle Crime Commission an 80-page report on forcible rape, its statistics in the region, and its recommendations in 1972. He recommended model procedures for the handling of the rape and suggested making procedures as easy as possible for the victim, quote, he also wrote a recidivism study on repeat offenses and why repeat offenders weren't caught. He was also the assistant director of the Crime Commission in 72 and 73, studying crime and white-collar crime in the Seattle area. It was later discovered that Bundy didn't write the part, but he helped as an intern for Dr. Donna Schramm. Dr. Donna Schramm later did the profile of the man abducting the women in Washington State, having no idea it was her former intern, Ted Bundy. It didn't even enter her mind. Oh, no. I never heard that before. One of his former psychology professors, Joel Kestenbaum, at the University of Washington, recognized the sketch of Bundy and called the police. When acted, if Bundy acted strange, he said nothing stood out at all. A lot of people say that, though. He was obsessed with white socks. That I didn't know. He loved the fact that he had so many socks. In fact, he was euphoric when his possessions were mentioned in court, especially all his socks, except for the odor-eater ones. He said, quote, Ah. One of my fondest dreams is to have all the underwear and socks I could ever conceivably use. It's one of my fantasies to be able to wear new socks every day. And I must admit, I have had three or four dozen socks, all purchased on stolen credit cards. Even in Pensacola, I went to a shopping mall and bought some socks. I was buying socks everywhere. I've got a sock fetish, no question about it. I must have six or seven pairs right here with me in my cell. I'm very close to my feet right now. I'm lying on my back with my foot propped on the bars, and I'm studying my toes for a good portion of the night. They're probably the most attractive feet you've ever seen. Oh, is he just playing a game there? No, he was, was a fetish. Socks are such a serious part of my life. They're so very important to me. They kept reading the list of socks and all in court, and I felt proud. Honestly, it didn't even begin to occur to me that people might wonder why I had all those socks. I just felt proud that I owned all those socks. Like a man who stands on the back of his ranch house and looks out over the range and sees all the cattle, the only time I began to have a little bit of sheepishness was when I read when I read about a white sock with a blue bar and green stripe on the toe. Those are the odor eaters, and that was getting too personal. Oh, my Lord. Direct quotes. Final two things. Bundy wanted his ashes spread in a specific area on, in Washington State, and it was his killing grounds. And here's a post-death weird fact. A contractor, Casey Clapton, was hired to remodel the Bundy family house in Tacoma. 
He, his daughter, and workers encountered, quote, spooky things, like closed doors, drawers, and cupboards would suddenly open by themselves, heavy furniture moved of its own accord, and the words, help me, were written on the window glass inside the locked house. Cell phones and other electronics would get unplugged and then immediately die. The final straw was when the word leave was found written in the sheetrock dust on the bedroom floor with no footprints around it. Casey brought in pastors to bless the house, and then he penciled Bible scriptures on the wall. So this is obviously demonic. Right. My question is, was that there when Ted lived there or after? I was just wondering. I wonder if that's what he was exposed to. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was clearly demonic what was going on with him. Yeah. And so this lady um, that we wondered about, and I couldn't find anything about her. Um, let's see. I finally discovered who she was. So let me open up the picture. Okay. So it's this one right here. Yeah. And, yeah. And blonde. So, uh, This is Carol Bartholomew. She and Ted were washing dishes after a birthday party in Salt Lake City in 1975. Now, she remembers him as being polite and attractive. Now, what she doesn't know is at this time, he had already started his killing spree. When he got to Utah, all he did was kill. He would show up to college like, if there was a final exam, which he passed, he would pass his law classes. I don't know how he did it while he was killing, but that's all he did there was kill people. And then he would travel down to Colorado and kill. I think he killed maybe in Iowa or Idaho, somewhere over there. But that's all he was doing at that point when he was washing dishes with her. Oh, my. And he looks happy and carefree. They said he was very intelligent. Some do. Some say he wasn't wonderful career in politics and Mm -hmm. oh my goodness so that's it as far as good old ted bundy fascinating